welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Tracy Siska. I'm the Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. And find out more about what we do at chicagojustice.org, our transparency work, our litigation work, both in Chicago and expanding throughout the country this summer. We're very happy that you're with us today. We have a great show. If you pay attention to Crime and Justice, which if you're watching this show, you do in Chicago at least. It has been a week for it. Um, so we're loaded with the show tonight. So what are we going to cover? We're going to co cover the resignation of the um, Chief Administrator of COPA, Citizens Office of Police Accountability. We're going to talk about the Mayor Lightfoot appointing a new Deputy Chief of Staff who has, um, we'll say, questionable votes for his time on the police board. We're going to talk about the resignation and the fallout from the uh, Toledo case in this uh, Cook County State's Attorney's Office. We're going to talk about a BGA FOIA Freedom of Information Act report and the, how um, the city's failing just under life what they did a manual and daily. We're going to talk about small social media fails. Um, guess who's back? Alderman Lopez and we're going to bring Fox 32 in. We're going to have a double dip for the fails this week or at least today. Um, we're going to talk about a bad article from Crime and Wrigleyville blog or CWB Chicago on district staffing. They're falling prey to the same BS arguments that uh, the media in Chicago has been falling prey to for decades in Chicago. And then we're going to talk about uh, the number of raids falling uh, in 2020 and how that might actually be a little bit of a reverse bad using statistics. It's kind of the same argument we're going to use on social media fails for Fox. We're going to talk about with the Sun-Times but kind of in a reverse way. And then we're going to end talking about the federal indictments that came down against Derek Chauvin and the other three officers in the George Floyd, uh, what I'm going to call murder case. Um, that's a unique one, and this is maybe a, a sign of good things to come. Okay, first, we're going to talk just quickly about, briefly about CJP Nation. It's a program that allows uh, brings together individuals and volunteers from around the country, some from outside the country, actually, to work on crowdsourced research projects, all done virtually. Um, they also work on social media activism, public policy advocacy. They do a little fundraising. If that's your thing, they're helping us with fundraising. But there's all kinds of opportunities to get in, involved in policy research and also research um, hardcore analysis that get, is going to be published to our site. Some of that is coming up, I believe, on May 25th, and we're actually probably going to have one publish sooner than that. You'll find out. Uh, we'll have a better idea of when the lockdown, the dates. We're going to try to lock down the dates this weekend of when all of that is coming. But you can get involved in it, too. You can email us at info, Chicago, info at chicagojustice.org or hit us up on any of the platforms you're watching us now, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, or YouTube. Drop a comment in that you're interested in finding out or let us know and we will hook you up. We usually have weekly meetings on Wednesday nights. They're called like strategy meetings to talk about where the projects are, and you can find out about those on any Wednesday night. And come on, just it's through Zoom. See if the project if a project interests you, and see if you're interested in jumping on and meet some people. So we're going to talk. Our first segment today is about the resignation of the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, COPA's Chief Administrator, Sydney Roberts. She's been on the job about three years. She was appointed by Rahm Emanuel. I am on the record, although I'm not sure if I ever wrote a blog about it, so where you'd find that I said it, but I was against this appointment from the beginning. 
you do not put someone from um, the Secretary of State's police, thought of in most major large police departments as a patronage police force. You do not put someone from that police force into run a major uh, accountability agency. They were not going to ever have the respect um, from good officers. Don't care about what bad officers respect, right? Um, so we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about that and about this article from the Tribune from Jeremy Gorner and Gregory Pratt. We have a double dip with them t- this week also. And the, for our podcast listeners, headline reads, Sidney Roberts, head of civilian, Chicago Civilian Office of Police Accountability, announces resignation. Now, um, as being someone in the rooms when COPA, the legislation for COPA was being hashed over, um, the originally came from an ordinance, um, mostly written by, uh, community renewal society and the Chicago coalition of police accountability, which we were part of was heavily involved in that. I was actually myself, me, that was in charge, uh, that brought up the idea of the deputy public safety inspector general. It was a twofer ordinance. Um, but the COPA side, I was someone involved in that language. I was in the room with community renewal societies and others trying to hash it out with the corporation counsel's office. Um, it was set to fail. It always has been. No, um, no mayor ever wants to spend money on accountability. They never do, right? When they created... The original office in Chicago from like the 1974, 76 was the Office of Professional Standards. It was an internal office to the police department. In 2007, the Chicago Coalition for Police Accountability, before I got involved, pushed the mayor to create the Independent Police Review Authority. That office did not have enough resources to do its job. And that's the politicians will create these offices, but then keep, first of all, limit the budget it gets and then keep chipping away at it. So that doesn't have the resources to do their job and then always just blame the head. Blame the chief administrator. I'm independent, the mayor says, the city council. We, we don't have anything to do with it. No, you do because you give the resources. It was set up to fail. It was never going to be successful. It's very hard for any accountability agency that like, like COPA or IPRA to ever do their job. It's pretty thankless. It's very hard to do. And if you don't have the resources, you're not going to get it done. And guess what? They didn't get it done. Um, they just didn't get it done. So let me let me turn to a quote, which I think is funny. I think this is the um, Tribune quoting Sidney Roberts' resignation letter that got um, got released. Roberts touted how COPA has established essential investigative legal foundation, as well as the capacity to deliver thorough investigations supported by comprehensive analyses and sound findings and disciplinary recommendations. Their investigations, part of the reason about not having enough resources, took forever. You know how much changed between COPA and IPRA related to that? Not very much, not enough, period. IPRA didn't have the resources, COPA didn't. The funny part about this is Roberts is trying to tout, by saying this, established essential investigative legal foundation. That means that was established during her time. Right, which means prior to her time, it was not there. That would mean 
the law professor who's escaping my mind right now, Sharon Fairley, who's at the University of Chicago Law School teaching, a professor of law from practice, who has been on the show several months ago. You can find it on YouTube or Facebook for sure, on our Facebook page. Um, that means she was the head of COPA. She was actually the head of IPRA. And then she transitioned from the head of IPRA to the head of COPA and brought in that transition and hired the staff from COPA because COPA basically had an all new staff. They didn't carry necessarily automatically carry people over from IPRA. So what Robert is saying is fairly didn't have these things in the agency and she create her administration created them. Oddly enough, if you go back and you look at what Fairly says when she's leaving, it's similar about the deficiencies that were there when Ipra, when she took over Ipra. And if you look at when Alana Rosen, well, no, what was it? Scott Ando, he was horrible. The leader of Ipra between Alana Rosenzweig, who hired that guy as her deputy. And um, he, was the, he was in between Alana Rosenzweig and Sharon Fairley. He said the same thing about Alana's time. And then when Alana took over, well, I started the organization, but it was previously the Office of Professional Standards. They just moved over the same staff and everyone. She said the same thing about OPS. So it's the same kind of BS line. We don't know where. It's hard to know where, what procedures and what policies and how professional things were in, where, at what time, and who had what. Um, it's fair to know this agency has never operated like we've wanted it to, to do, like the public needs it to do. It's never had the resources. The budget should probably be doubled, if not tripled. And if mayors were smart, and listen, we don't have any smart ones. Lightfoot's a disaster, especially on this topic. You would just double or triple the budget. It'd be the easiest thing in the world to do. Then, there, then you'd hold them to getting their investigations done in three months because they'd have the resources to do it. And their investigations would be timely and you'd solve the problem. And then if you found out they were bloated, you could pull away. Now about Roberts, I got, this got told to me and I'm not sure, um, I'm not remember sure who exactly told me this story recently, but supposedly there were aldermen when she, in one of the budget hearings trying to get her to talk about how she needed more resources to do her job and she talked that down. She shot them down. If that is true, obscene. She probably should have been fired for just that. Um, whoever Lightfoot gets to run this office will fail, 100%. There's a 100% failure in this job unless they, um, unless they increase the resources. It will never be successful. Now, one of the things that I have to take uh, a little issue with from, um, Um, I want to make sure I got the people, Gorner and Pratt, I want to make sure I had them, right, um, who wrote this in the Tribune, and I have issues with both of them over times, is that they criticize COPA for their video release policy, and somehow they're like 14 or 30 of the videos that they released were like a day late or something, and they took the Inspector General's report. I don't think that's actually factually wrong, but if they dug into a little bit of it, they would realize actually what was actually uncovered in the Inspector General's report around COPA's video release policy and whether or not they were able to meet their goals was that many times the police department who handles the video, COPA doesn't have it, they have to get it from the police department. 
The police department didn't send it till after the 60 days. Copa didn't get their first look at these videos until 60 days after the incidents. So, and I know this because Deborah Witzberg, the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General, who authored the report that Pratt and Gorner are quoting, has been on our show many times, and we're arranging for her to come on with the latest things the Inspector General has released. The latest findings and reports and audits. So, um... I think they missed, I missed a little context there. Um, I'm not a fan of how COPA was operating. I'm not a fan of Sidney Roberts. Um, but this agency will never survive unless you double, maybe triple the budget. And we need a mayor with courage that starts using the tax increment financing money, this, the TIF money that she gets corruption off the book money for these things. This is a solvable problem with a, uh, uh, you know, a little use of her pen. Here, here's a 40, 30, 40, 80 million dollars off the TIFs. That's excess, put it there towards COPA and let's solve the problem. Then we could actually judge the quality of the leaders of the agencies if they had enough resources. When you starve them all and you starve them to a level no one's ever really going to be optimal and successful as we want it to be, you can't judge them. It's a joke. And the real problem is in the politicians, the city council members and the mayor. That's who this... Um, that's who this falls on. Okay, we're going to move to our second segment today. And it's about Lori Lightfoot, our mayor. Your mayor, I'm in D.C. Your mayor, um, she appointed a new deputy public safety, deputy chief of staff for public safety. And, um, ooh, Jeremy Gorner and Greg Pratt again with the article. Not a surprise titled Mayor Lightfoot's new deputy mayor for public safety sided with police officers in some controversial cases, including an alleged Laquan, uh, an alleged Laquan, Laquan McDonald cover-up. That was the case where they were trying officers. Um, they were trying to fire officers for the cover-up. And yeah. Um, so what do we know? It's, the person is named John O'Malley. He was formerly on the police board. That's where I believe him and Lightfoot became friends. Um, he was number two in the U.S. Marshal's office in Chicago. He was also on the police board. And he's now most recently coming from leaving a position of director of corporate security for the brokerage, brokerage firm William Blair and Company. That is one hell of a resume for someone becoming deputy chief of staff for public safety. Not sure why he wants that position. Um, and if you look at the the, the 10 years of Lightfoot's staff, especially around justice issues, I wouldn't expect to see him uh, last to the next election, which is only, guys, less than two years away. I would doubt he lasts this long. Um, in U.S. Marshal Service, he was, you know, what they do is managing federal prisoners um, or protecting federal prisoners. Um, oh, I'm sorry, managing federal uh, prisoners, protecting government witnesses in federal criminal cases and catching fugitives. I have no idea what how that qualifies him to kind of run criminal justice in Chicago uh, for the mayor. That's kind of that uh, seems very questionable to me. Um, so let's look at a couple quotes. Um, well, first of all, you want to talk about a shitty hack political move from our mayor. <laughs> Lightfoot's office did not answer questions about O'Malley's police board record. And did not make him available for an interview for this story. Wow. You know, I gotta say, 
Jane Byrne, probably Harold Washington, but who knows? Richard Daly, Rahm Emanuel. Tell me what the hell is different? Tell me one of the hacks that came before Lightfoot that wouldn't have pulled that same move. Maybe Harold. Maybe Harold would have answered questions. I don't understand what she's doing. That to me is a, um, that's a telltale hack political move. And hopefully she pays a political cost for it, but I doubt it. See, if the media was doing their job, that would be the headline on the front page of the Tribune and the Sun-Times and every newscast until he was made available to answer questions. She'll do it. You put it on the paper on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. By Thursday, you're going to have a live interview with him for every, every media outlet in Chicago. But courage, they don't have any. They just they don't want to make the people, especially at the trip, they don't want to make the mayor too upset. Here's a quote from the article. John O'Malley is very thoughtful, completely independent, and possesses deep subject matter expertise. Former Bev member John Simpson said, I don't know very many people who call balls and strikes better than John. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Everyone's got their opinion. So maybe this is a good appointment. Let's go. Let's go a little further in depth and to look at some of the cases as the Tribune covers them. His decisions. In the board's decision, the majority states her statements were intentionally misleading to prevent to benefit her fellow officer. This is in the case of the four officers. They were deciding whether or not to fire. Um, O'Malley voiced an opinion that one of the officers should not have been fired for the cover-up involving the Laquan McDonald case. I find that statements can be construed as accurate and does not automatically translate into her believing or stating that McDonald was was an imminent threat to her fellow officers or that she was condoning deadly force. What did she say? And I quote in, in a report, McDonald, Mr. McDonald continued to advance on the officers waving the knife. That video has went worldwide and everyone who's seen it worldwide knows that statement is an absolute lie. The person who doesn't know it's a lie one of the few in Chicago that isn't an FOP member blinded by the cult of police, of the police here, the blue cult, is John O'Malley. And now he is Deputy Chief of Staff for Public Safety for Lori Lightfoot. I got to tell you, I just see the reform coming out of him. Lightfoot is 730 days in and she's pulled up a goose egg. She scored a goose egg on reform. How is this guy better? He thinks that statement could be construed as not being an absolute bold-faced lie when we have the video. Um, here's a little bit more. The board states that her statement, the majority of the board members, made it, that her statement made it appear as though Van Dyke appropriately used deadly force. I do not agree with that assertion whatsoever. He was advancing towards the officer's waving his knife. He was walking away from the officers, not waving his knife. You can't have it both ways. The video shows what happened. At no point was he advancing on officers, waving his knife. That's an absolute unbelievable lie. She should be not only fired, but in prison. But our Cook County justice system is too corrupt.
Here's another one. O'Malley was also was the only board member in January 2018 who voted not to discipline Officer Jamie Gaeta and Henry Matthews for shooting and wounding a man in 2015 as he tried to flee a traffic stop on the far south side. In its 27-page decision, which you can get through the article, they link to it, the police board said the officers never had the authority to make the traffic stop. The two officers said they witnessed Golette make a hand-to-hand drug deal. Okay, interesting. Hold on now. Now, if they testified to that, tell me how that statement holds true with what I'm about to tell you. How far is your vision? Think about it. How far away could you see a hand-to-hand drug deal and be reliable? Okay. But while testifying in a police board hearing in 2017, both admitted they were 250 to 270 feet away and didn't use binoculars. Wow. <clears throat> I don't know, could you tell from 250 feet away whether someone did a definitively tell if someone was doing a hand-to-hand drug deal? I don't know. That's kind of questionable to me. James O'Malley didn't think so. Now, or John O'Malley, sorry. Now, let me correct one thing. I lied there a little bit. It wasn't 250 to 275 feet. It was 250 to 275 yards away. Almost three football fields. And Mr. O'Malley believed that bullshit where they got caught lying was a reason to stop, make a traffic stop. There's this concept and evidence about whether something's admissible. And this is what the police board did. It's the same thing. It's called fruit of the poisonous tree, right? In the Supreme Court and its ultra conservativeness and anti-small governance, the conservatives try to say the Supreme Court, they're not. If you're for small government, you're for personal liberty and you're in for freedom and uh, freedom from illegal searches from police officers. The hypocrisy of the right related to the Supreme Court and policing is gross. Gross. But the concept is, if there's an illegal stop, if the beginning of the interaction is illegal and the search is illegal, then anything they gain from that cannot be introduced in court. And the goal is to de-incentivize illegal searches because you're going to have to get the evidence tossed out. Now, that doesn't stop anything usually in Chicago because we have such a horrible media. They don't report on criminal cases. They don't know how many times this happens. But we have here the police board applying the fruit of the poisonous tree. We don't believe you. First of all, they caught them lying. We saw it hand-to-hand. Really, how far are you away? Oh, three football fields. Oh, you didn't see shit. Nada. Right? You didn't see nothing. They got caught lying. That by was enough to do. They got caught lying in their testimony in front of the police board. You're gone. O'Malley didn't think so. Keep them. This is the guy that's now Deputy Chief of Staff for Public Safety for Mayor Lightfoot and running policing and justice and reforms. I got to tell you, I have a warm feeling about how much reform is going to get through this mayor's office. And she's on approaching 730 days if she's not already there. And she's scoring a goose egg. O'Malley's here to probably make sure that they continue to sc- score a goose egg. Okay. 
let's move on to our next segment. So we have a report from CBS to Chicago that I'm going to play for you. It's about two minutes. It's um, about, um, I'm going to catch you up real quick. It's about the um, Adam Toledo case. There was a preliminary hearing and um, the gentleman, the adult that was caught with him at the caught, that was with him in the alley and ended up getting caught um, shortly, seconds before Adam Toledo was shot and killed by the officer. At his bond hearing, the prosecutor said that Adam had a gun in his right hand when he was shot. Not that he had a gun in his hand moments before he was shot, but they had a gun in his hand when he was shot. There's been fallout because that officer, that prosecutor, that blew up in the media. That prosecutor was put on suspension. There was an internal investigation about what happened within the state's attorney's office. That information has gone now public. This is what this news report is about. And it also talks about how um, a prosecutor, the number two in the office, um, resigned. So I'm going to play this for you and you can, um, we'll talk about it on the way back after we're over. We are having all kinds of technical problems. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Internet problems here in DC. So um, the video, I'll set up the video for you. I'll tell you what's going on in the video. Basically, that, that prosecutor you saw at the end as the video slowed down, he was the one at the bond hearing. He says Toledo has a gun in his hand when he shot. He obviously doesn't have a gun in his hand when he shot, although he had a gun in his hand moments before he was shot. That blows up. Fox blows up. Wants to know how this happened. They suspend that prosecutor. They launch an internal investigation to see what's going on. What basically happens is that no one, supposedly, for what it's worth, tells Fox that she needs to read the proffer. What this prosecutor is going to tell the court happened in the in this bond hearing for this guy who was caught with Adam Toledo, who the prosecutors allege gave Adam the gun after he shot several shots, I think seven or eight, at a moving car with people in it. Somehow it doesn't, the, the, it's believed, the investigation came out and it says the chain of command failed. No one let um, Fox know that she had to read anything. It doesn't appear that what was told to middle management within the state's attorney's office what, about the case and about the video was reflected in the proffer. Um, so it was just this huge issue of accountability within the office. Many people are lashing out at Fox um, and we're suing her, so I have my issues with Fox. But it's a heater case. You have to look everything over. You got to be in charge. The buck stops with you. Yeah, the buck stops with her. However, and I'm going to keep harping on this one. Is it okay for this? If this was a lie by the officer, by the state's attorney in court at the bond hearing, is it okay for them to lie in average cases, but not heater cases? You have a staff. You've hired them. You've put them in place. You've empowered them to do their jobs. Does she have to look over for every one or just heater ones? And there's this popular belief that she's got to look over all the heater ones. 
How about just have the people in place to do the job right? And if something needs to be looked over, they're going to let you know what it is. This is what you're, this is why you have a number two in the office. That's what their job is. So I understand why the number two got booted. Um, I also want to say that this is more evidence of a culture in the office. This office has never been one administering fair justice whatsoever. And I mean, you can look back from the Burge times, well, the killing of Fred Hampton, right? Um, but through the Burge times, when those prosecutors were in those interrogation rooms, when a lot of that torture was going down or left the room so they could torture someone to get them to say the right thing, which happened in the Wilson case at a bare minimum. So, you know, people are ripping Fox and I'm a little confounded by it. Maybe the ripping on her is to have higher, better people. And from what it looks like, the number two got pushed out, forced to resign, basically fired. The um, prosecutor at the bond hearing is coming back to the office. So, and I think that's basically, um, supposedly if you read the internal investigation and if I had the video working right here, you would have heard that he, they added some charges related in that case, er, really early that morning. And there wasn't enough time for the proffer to go back and forth on it. Um, it makes some sense. I still think there should have been consequences and there have been. I just think this, a lot of this trying to pick, pin it on Fox completely is just a joke. Does she need to hold the office accountable? Yeah, and she's done that. I don't know what else these people want. Okay, we're gonna move on to a topic very near and dear to CJP. This is from the Better Government Association. City spends millions defending secrecy practices. This is Alexander Schur and David Jackson at the BGA putting together a study, basically, of like 10 years of... FOIA litigation costs, basically, involving the city of Chicago. And it's a little easier for them. Well, I shouldn't say, well, it's a little easier probably for the BGA to do it because they're, um, the lawyer that represents them in their FOIA suits is Matt Topic. Matt Topic at Lovie handles, I think the article said two-thirds of all the um, FOIA cases. He's got a little niche practice going there. He's representing us. Full uh, disclosure, he's representing us currently against the CPD. We have probably four or five, six more lawsuits that are, are going to be in the process of filing and should be filed by fall. But what this thing shows, let me explain a little context. In 2010, in the FOIA Freedom of Information Act overhaul that was put into place January 1st of 2010 by then Attorney General Lisa Madigan, it included this fee swap thing where if the plaintiff wins the lawsuit, they file a suit and they win it, you have to basically pay their attorney fees. The public body has to pay the um, plaintiff's attorney's fees. We know we've done this in our litigation against um, Office of Emergency Management and Communications with Lovi. Lovi recovered fees from them because we won. And we're going to win against the CPD. We've already won some. Um, and we'll win the rest of them. Um, so let me give you a couple quotes from the study because it's really interesting. 
Records show the city reportedly denied access to police shooting videos despite losing 11 lawsuits, 11, in which the CPD videos were ultimately made public. In fact, one of the city's 119 payouts since 2010, oh, in fact, of the city's 119 payouts since 2010, about 90% stem from denials by the Chicago Police Department. That's right. Makes sense, right? I mean, that's what... Utterly corrupt, utterly inept, utterly broken. Period. Period. They are. They, I don't know what if that can, the department can tell up from down. Their internal processes are so broken. They don't have any quality assurance in there to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Especially around um, subpoenas and FOIAs. It's all internally. Keep collecting data. It's all broken. Here's another one. Lightfoot, her administration's lawyers and police officials all declined to be interviewed for this story. In a brief statement, her lawyer said all public record denials under the Illinois Freedom of Nation Act are based upon a good faith basis that release of certain records would con- contravene with the law. That is a lie. They told us, we're in lawsuit right now, they told us we do not keep call for service data, which is data generated, generated by the Office of Emergency Management and Communications when someone calls 911. We absolutely do not have it. Nope, nothing. Oh my God, do you know when we got into court, they miraculously found that data? Years and years and years. And they're still hiding some of it. They, for nine years, they only gave us a portion. And now, they were, we're supposed to have a call with someone about explaining it. They're going to tell us how they don't have data, but that got canceled. So now we've sent in interrogatories and we're moving to discovery. And t- I hope videotape depositions, because God, do I want to play those on the show. <laughs> the one problem, if, if there are any with this... Um, this report is, um, when I get the names right, David Jackson and Alexander Schur, I think it's Schur, quoted Thomas Needham. You don't quote someone, David Alexander. You don't quote someone who was responsible previously for the cover-ups and lies. You don't quote them complaining about the lack of openness from the department. No, 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 no. He was deputy chief of staff, or chief of staff, sorry, he was de- he was chief of staff for Terry Hillard. You think they were good on FOIA back then? What a joke. No, he should never have been quoted. If you can't find someone better with all your... your you have access to Matt Topic at Lovey. He can't put you in touch with one any of his clients, not a one. No, that was that was a joke, and you sh- they should have known better. But you, no, they didn't. That was just a ridiculous thing. The rest of the report is very good, and we're trying to get them on the show, and I'll tell it to them on the show that I thought that was insulting, and ridiculous, and showed a lack of understanding of the issue. Here are some stats, really quick. Three hundred twenty, about three hundred twenty thousand dollars at eleven suit. Lawsuits were paid out because of denied requests for video footage of police shootings and fraud encounters with citizens. 125,000 settled 12 lawsuits stemming from requests police denied for investigative files and police misconduct complaints. and Almost $112,000 in six lawsuits after city denied records about police surveillance programs designed to track criminal and terrorist organizations. Yep. This is what they do. And you've noticed a massive change from Daily to Rom and then Rom to Lightfoot. I mean, it's totally changed. 
Oh, that's right. No, it hasn't changed at all. Same old bullshit. Same old practices. 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 Nothing's changed. They're still lying. Um, I'm not going to tell you what they've denied on us. We have a series of foil denials. So it looks like we're going to be suing the police department again. Maybe with Lovey, maybe with someone else. We may have two active lawsuits against them at the same time. It's pretty funny and pretty sad. Um, but what this really proves is that from Daly to Rom to Lightfoot, no difference. None of them believe in FOIA. None of them believe in transparency, no matter the rhetoric of coming out when they're a candidate. Okay, we'll be right back in one minute. And we're going to talk about, to start off after the break, our social media fails. Pretty funny. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, thank you for sticking around. We are back. And this is a new segment that's going to be probably hit at least once a week, maybe on Fridays. Um, if we get more, we may extend it to other, other, um, other episodes every week. It's basic social media fails. So let's talk about bad social media around crime and justice. Mostly, we're going to concentrate on reporters and politicians. Our first one is Fox 32 reporter Natalie Baumke. Natalie, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And here is a Facebook, and it ends up a video, but you can get enough just from the text here. Chicago shooting soar. As Saturday morning, as of Saturday morning, 997 shooting victims have been recorded since the start of the year. There have been 187 murders, which, I, which is outpacing last year. Carjackings are on the decline thanks to a new Chicago police task force targeting that crime. With the mayor announcing plans today to fully reopen the city, do you feel safe coming to visit? Natalie and all of the Chicago media, stop doing this. You cannot compare. I'm going to keep harping on this. I feel I should just play a recorded, recording of me saying this. You cannot compare pre-pandemic times to pandemic times. You just can't do it. So saying there are increases in anything or declines in anything from the first three months of 2020 before we the pandemic really took hold here and we had the unbelievable economic, health, housing, insecurity, which we still have in large swaths of the city. You can't do it. Can't do it. Stop doing it. Don't do it on your newscast. Don't do it on social media. Don't do it anywhere. That is hyperbolic clickbait. That's all that is. Um, and that question about do you feel safe visiting, it's all hyperbolic clickbait. Um, and one other thing, Natalie, 
you have no idea, nor does anyone else, including the police department, why carjackings have plummeted if they have. You saying it, the way you said it means you know and you think the police know it's because of their task force. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. And the fact that you think you do is just incredibly lazy. I don't know if you think you know that's what it is, but it certainly sounded like you're convinced it is and you have some evidence. I would love to see it. Let me tell you, you don't have any. Correlation is not causation. And one of the big problems with reporters is they don't understand that concept because it doesn't fit nicely into their article and into their quote they need. Stop being lazy. Here's our second one. Speaking of hack pol political, political hackery, sorry. This is a tweet by Alderman Raymond Lopez, who I think from the 15th Ward, who I think is going to be a regular, maybe a weekly into our social media fails. So here's a, what it is, is he's commenting on a tweet from Crime and Wrigleyville blog Chicago, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's about nearly every CPD district has lost more than 12%. This is the CWB tweet of their cops over the past year. Now CPD is hatching a plan to make some detectives sit in street corners, on street corners with salt trucks. And it no longer lets people file police reports over the phone, or on the phone, reports on the phone over the, overnight. Okay. We'll get to that in a minute because that's the next segment. Let's get to Lopez's comment on the tweet, I guess, is what we'd say this is. Lightfoot said... Said, I think he tried to say said. Lightfoot said she opposes the defund police movement, in quotes, defund police movement during last year's budget discussions, but I don't believe her. Oh, we don't care. She's absolutely working to starve the beast and keep them from catching criminals. That's right, you heard it. Alderman Raymond Lopez from the 15th Ward knows everything. He's got it figured out. It, just call him Donald Trump because he knows everything while he still knows nothing, pulling it out of thin air. L Mayor Lightfoot is so in love with criminals. She's trying to starve the police department from resources so criminals can run amok in Chicago. It's a surefire, surefire way of getting reelected in Chicago, taking money from the cops to support criminals robbing and raping the city. There you go, Alderman Lopez. That is why you're part of our social media fails. I don't know where he thinks running far right of Lori is going to win him, but he's continuing it. It'll be interesting over the next couple of years to see where this goes. Um, I think in the end it's going to go down the toilet, but we will see. Him and John, I mean, when you start becoming indistinguishable from tweets that John Cass will send out, you are in bad company, Mr. Alderman. It should be interesting to see how you get reelected. Let's go on to segment six. And here we are with the CWB article, and I'll read the title, with district staffing levels decimated. CPD taps detectives to sit on a street corners, closes call center on overnights. Now, to be fair, call, closing the call center on overnights is kind of a joke. I don't know why he's doing that, but I kind of do. Here's why, ladies and gentlemen. Here is what you're not hearing. Well, there's a couple things at play here. First of all, the reason CWB, lazy as they can be, and the a lot of the mainstream crime reporters, almost all of them, 
Patrick Smith at BEZ, Garner, um, Frank Maine at Sun-Times. The reason you're not getting the context you deserve is because none of them really thoughtfully and hard and thoroughly researched David Brown's activities in Dallas. This thing with having uh, detectives sit on the street corners, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Why? This is what he did in Dallas, this crapola. He was known in Dallas for doing these kinds of BS antics. Uh, months before, he'd have to appear in front of city council to answer about crime numbers. So he would do this because the city council wouldn't pay attention to clearance rates. The, type, the, number, the percentage of cases that detectives are solving and arresting people with, they wouldn't pay attention to that. They were only looking at crime incident numbers. So he would take detectives that are supposed to be involving crimes, take them off the off of those cases and put them in cars in uniform, which these people, these detectives mean full police uniform. They're going to love it. Um, and put them on hot corners and just have them sit there as a deterrent to drive down crime numbers so that he would look good at the annual meeting. Um, it's hilarious. And this is what he did in Dallas. Why? Because I talked to people down there. I talked to reporters. I know what's coming. We have a big expose coming on the superintendent maybe six, eight weeks away. And we've got gold that none of the media here in Chicago has, and certainly not CWB, because they are way too not into that. That's called journalism and work and research. Not really their thing. They're very good, however, at sitting at a... Um, they love watching bond hearings. They can do bond hearings better than anyone else. Um, anyways, let's get to back to this. District staffing levels have been decimated. What does that mean? What should the levels be? CWB has no idea. Neither do the officers feeding CWB this BS. They don't know. You know, there's a scientific process and method for determining that. That would take effort. That would take real effort. They don't have a clue. They know the numbers have gone down. So the, the cops on the street in the uniform, the patrol officers, it's been decimated. We can't do our jobs. Can you prove what you do driving around in circles keeps crime down? They can't. There's a great quote from police scholars that's called Random patrol equals random results. They have no idea how much it works or doesn't work. They don't think it really works. They don't think it does. But And that's scholars and scientists looking at it. But tell a beat officer that it doesn't work. Oh, my God, no way. Yeah, it doesn't work. And in a lot of places, it really doesn't work. So they would be better if they had more about exactly what districts and how many. And this is what science says they should do because we have science and we can use this process to understand through a thorough, objective, valid way of doing it, sound methodology. This is how many offers that district needs. They don't know. This is rhetoric, gossip, crapola. That is what CWB and the um, white, mostly I would bet white wing of the police department, ultra conservative, the strong FOP members who elected a FOP president, union president that has 50 complaints against him. <laughs> um, they're being fed crapola. This is without context. You cannot complain about a staffing number without ha having a way to determine what an appropriate staffing number is.
just because it was at, let's say 100, although it's probably three or 400 per district or 500, but let's just say 100. It goes down to 70. It's been decimated. Well, if you don't know what the number should be, then how do you know 100 was right? Maybe it should be 150, and it's really been decimated the whole time. Maybe it should be 60. They don't have a clue. They have no way of knowing. This has been a constant struggle for CJP. None of these idiots involved in this know. I was involved, set up to, on a, uh, at an event at Loyola University at the law school, held through, I think, the crim department at Loyola, through a, a Lombardo, a Professor Lombardo there, who made it seem like I was going to be on a panel to answer questions, but in reality... It was a presentation, and I was the first one speaking. And after me, it was him and the FOP and the Chicago Crime Commission who were all like, we're short so many cops. Do any of them have science to say how many cops we should have? No. They just know it's different than a number we used to have. That's all they know. Um, and we've been struggling with that since before that time, and that was, God, seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that, maybe more. And it continues, and it continues, and it continues. And we're still doing it. Don't believe this BS when you see it in the press, whether it's Crime and Wrigleyville blog or in the Tribune on ABC News. Cops are always complaining they don't have enough cops, and no one wants to do the scientific work to determine how many cops you should need. Um, it's a purely political agenda. The union and the cops are never going to say they have enough. More money, more power, more members, more money, more power, more members. That's all they're going to say. And by the way, don't question us, God forbid. We do something. Don't question us. We don't care if you want to live in a democracy. When it comes to us, we're unquestionable by everyone above us and below us, period. End of story. They can hold us accountable. We can't hold them accountable for anything. Okay. Let's go to segment seven. And it is bo it has more bad data, but this is the flip side we're going to talk about about it. So Sun-Times article titled, Chicago Police Department Raids on Homes Plummet. City Hall Inspector General fines. And to be honest, that's true. But why did that happen is the question. And the Inspector General's office doesn't give a reason. We'll talk to Deborah Witzberg in the next couple of weeks, probably on the show. She's the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety. She's Her office issued these reports. She's been on the show um, I think three times. They've done a lot of good work in the last year. Um, I'm really happy I helped set that office up, to be honest with you. Um, when people say things CJP did well, that, that was one of them. That actually is helping. The article that Maine, um, I think this is Maine, right? Let me just make sure. That's yeah, Frank Maine, is trying to, he's trying to allege in the article a linkage sort of between the Anjanette Young case and the decline in search warrants in 2020. I don't know. I don't think that holds true. Now, to, to be fair, Dave Savini from Channel 2, who broke the story about Anjanette Young's, uh, broke the story, the news with the video of her, her horrific raid, has been hammering away on that topic for much of 2020. So that itself may have had an impact. I don't doubt that, actually. That may have had an impact. But 
you're also talking within a pandemic. How do you ferret out what had what impact? You're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. It changed policing tactics. We had demonstrations that took over, God, huge swaths of the city and had unrest throughout huge swaths of the city. We had times in multiple weekends where the police were mostly encircling and the National Guard and state police were encircling the loop to keep it safe. How do you, how do you determine what is what? It's just not easy. So in whether you do it for the good or bad, it just doesn't matter. There's no way to really know what's going on there. Okay. I just don't think you can make that connection. Let me read you two quotes. Inspector General Ferguson's report also found the city's electronic tracking system for warrants doesn't record raids that police mistakenly made at the wrong address. Shocking. It's good that they wrote about it, but come on. Of course they don't. They're not going to keep any data that makes us look bad. Also, about a quarter of the searches that were logged into the police database had incomplete information about the targeted address. (laughs) What? What? See, if there was a fair justice system, the police wouldn't be able to get, get a warrant, or if they did get a warrant, well, they wouldn't be able to get a warrant with all of that information in the system, one. And two, they wouldn't be able to use the evidence from it if it wasn't in the system. We have swung so far to benefit the police in the Supreme Court over the last few decades. It's just so sad. How do you get a warrant when you don't have recorded the address you're going to search? How in 2020 or 2021 does the police department not keep track of warrant raids that end up in the wrong address or don't get our negative raids or unsuccessful raids, the raids that don't get what they're trying to get? They list out a warrant what they're going after, right? We're going after drugs and guns. Oh, there were no drugs or guns there. Oops, went to the wrong house. Guy didn't live there. Oopsies, are bad. And basically why they don't do that is because then people like the inspector generals and others and cope on them would then have that information to go and initiate investigation. So what this corrupt, soulless police department has been doing for well over 120 years, but digitalization say since the 90s, has been making sure that they don't record it so that maybe if the person who we pulled guns on and held at gunpoint in their house illegally doesn't file a lawsuit or complaint, we'll get away with it. If we scared them enough, then maybe we won't have to worry about being held accountable for what we're doing. This is why, despite Mayor Lightfoot's goose egg in 730 days and her first two years in office, I like that. 730 equals zero. Only Mayor Lightfoot could do that. Um, this is something where you got the Anjanette Young ordinance out. It's out. It's um, the Progressive Caucus is pushing it. We're trying to arrange a date for Alderman, Alderwoman Haddon, Maria Haddon from the 49th Ward to come on and talk about it. Lightfoot's fighting that. Why? Why? What in the police department is reinforced in her brain that they can do anything right we need we need legislative law requiring certain things for the police to do we cannot rely on policy it just doesn't work okay ladies and gentlemen we're going to get to our last segment here and it's going to be a quickie and but i i I do have some things to say about it 
This is an article from ABC News. Um, and it's a quick one. George Floyd case. Four police officers indicted on federal civil rights charges. This is a very encouraging sign, in my opinion. What I like about this is it does two things. As Chauvin, who was recently convicted for George Floyd's murder, as he, he just filed an appeal for all kinds of violations by the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, everyone broke some kind of um, rule in the case. Except him, by the way, the person who murdered George Floyd. Um, I like it because it shows Chauvin that, hey, sir, even if some miracle, you win an appeal and then you win at your new trial by some miracle, we're waiting for you. We're coming for you. You're not getting away with this. The rate at which, although... Civil rights charges for police are kind of hard to prove. The rate at which federal U.S. attorneys uh, the f lose in federal court at trials is extremely low. You are not going to typically gamble with it. Um, so I like it. Um, it also, in my opinion, sends a message to the other three officers, for better or worse, that are awaiting trial. I think they go on trial in August. It sends them a message, hey, we're waiting too, and if you get off. And by the way, even if you get convicted, we're still waiting. And you're going to have to serve, you may have to serve state time and federal time. Um, it reinforces the, the need to plead. Um, I am shocked that the two younger officers that were probationary officers didn't take a plea right away and flip on Chauvin. Maybe they had nothing to offer the prosecutors. I don't know why they didn't do it. They were put in a horrible spot, but they are responsible for their actions nonetheless. But I can see arguments where their punishment should have been very minimal, especially if they plead, they pled and flipped. I don't know why they didn't do that. They're going to be looking at some very, 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 very serious time, both in the state of Minnesota and federally. Um, they may end up cutting a deal with both to avoid um, what's coming for him. Now, one other aspect of the Chauvin thing. For the three cops, the federal indictment is one count of civil rights violations, violating George Floyd's civil rights. Not so for Chauvin. Why? He's got an entirely, he's got, he's indicted not only for George Floyd, but an entirely different case. I'll read you from the ABC News report. In addition to allegedly violating Floyd's rights, Chauvin is named in a second separate indictment filed on Thursday for deparations of rights under color law for allegedly violating the civil rights of a 14-year-old in 2017. The indictment said Chauvin, without legal justification, held a teen by the throat and struck the juvenile one, or struck, struck juvenile one, they're not mentioning a person's name, because he was a juvenile at the time the event happened, he may still be, but he was then, multiple times in the head with a flashlight. Chauvin is also accused of holding 
His knee on the neck and upper back of Juvenile 1 after the Juvenile 1 was lying prone, handcuffed, and unresisting. Wow, does that sound familiar? Mr. Chauvin probably will... Um, I don't know if he'll never get out. I shouldn't say that. He's going to spend a long time in prison. I think, and what I've heard from lawyers who have looked at his appeal in Minnesota, he's going to lose it. He's still got a couple of appeals to go, I'm sure. It doesn't look good for him in Minnesota. If I had to bet, I would say he's going to look at like 10 years in Minnesota. I'm not sure if it's day for day or if it's determinate sentencing where he's going to serve 85%. I know the prosecutor's adding more uh, for aggregated circumstances because he's a police officer and how cruel it was suffocating him to death over 10 minutes like he did. So maybe he's looking at 20. It's possibly a lot more, but I don't. I, I just can't see it. He's a first... First-time offender. I mean, obviously not a first-time offender. First-time convicted of a crime. Um, and what he's going to be looking at is many, many, many years for what's going on in Minnesota. I mean, into federal court. And he's already been convicted in the Minnesota court. That's going to um, give some credence to what's going on in the federal court against him. And um, plus, he's got this other case. It would have been nice... If the feds came in in 2017 and got Chauvin, it would have been nice if state prosecutors in that police department that suddenly aghast at everything Chauvin did. Like, where was Chauvin's, uh, where is his uh, partners back in this 2017 case? What other cops were on the scene at that point? It would have been nice if they did something then. George Floyd still be alive. His family wouldn't have had to go through this. Minnesota and the rest of the country wouldn't have had to go through what happened after his death. There are consequences of a justice system, both on the federal and state levels, that fail to do their jobs around holding police and other justice systems officials accountable for their actions. This, you can directly draw a line from Chauvin staying on the force after this incident and George Floyd's murder. And... I hope the reporters, and maybe they have in Minneapolis, I haven't seen it nationally, dig in and out his partner at the time and anyone else that was on that scene with this 14-year-old juvenile in 2017 and identify them and push the police department to hold them accountable too. We need to get them off the street. Maybe they also need to be locked up. Um, it's just sad. You know, I, I remember former, now then U.S. Attorney Patrick Fitzgerald talking about when they indicted John Burge, the former cop who tortured maybe somewhere between 100 and 200 suspects from the early 70s to the early 90s. They indicted him in the early 2000s about for lying in interrogatories in a civil lawsuit around being him torturing people. And at the press conference, someone asked, well, why are you getting this guy for this? And he basically says, I don't know why they didn't indict him back in the day. I wasn't there. I don't know. And by the way, when you hear Dan Webb's name, when you hear Dan Webb and he's such this great lawyer and oh my God, great lawyer. He was a U.S. attorney at the time. One of them, he could have taken down Burge. He did nothing. Nothing. That's why Burge's reign of terror lasted so long. Patrick Fitzgerald continued and said, you get him for what you get him. Burge is an arch criminal. He did these tortures. 
He did most, if not all of them. He's an arch criminal. My job is to get criminals. I get them for what I can get them for. Patrick Fitzgerald was back there 20 years ago. A lot, of, a lot of those people may have never been tortured, sent to death row, right? That may have not happened. The, um, hopefully the media looks into this 2017 case, finds out who the superintendent of police is, who his partners were, who ran the police accountability system, who else was on the street with Chauvin, and go and find them and out them. Who was the prosecutor in Minnesota at the time? Find them, out them. Their falling down on the job cost George Floyd his life. And God knows how many other people Chauvin did this to. If you think this white guy, after he got away with it, doing it to a black man, stopped for like three or four years, three years, and then did it to George Floyd again, you're crazy. There are other victims out there. Black, white, Latino, Asian, he did it. These guys don't stop. So there's a lot more work to be done and a lot more about holding the justice system top to bottom. Find out how the U.S. attorney was in Minnesota at the time. What the hell were they doing? Find out who was running the FBI office in Minneapolis. What the hell were they doing when all this happened? Any of them could have stepped up and done with what they were supposed to and empowered to do. George Floyd would be alive. But no. Hopefully the media doesn't allow them to remain anonymous, bask in their anonymousness. We need them out. We need to know. We need to know if they're still cops. We need to know if people on the street are still cops. We need to know. We need to get them the hell out of there. Because obviously they have a history of covering up sick, gross, massive human rights violations. Because that's what this is. You can only imagine what he did to people when no one was around. Sick. All right. But at least he's indicted now, and if there is, um, if we're lucky, he will go to trial on these federal charges, and we will find out a lot more about what happened in this 2017 case. Hopefully the media does it in the next week or two. That would be awesome, too. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with you Monday at 5.30 Central. We're going to be playing an interview, or at least part of an interview, with Representative LaShawn Ford about his proposal to make every officer in police officer in Illinois take uh, some kind of critical race theory classes. I don't know exactly about it, but he'll be here to uh, teach us all what he's thinking about. All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you um, Monday at 530. Have a great weekend. Stay safe.